Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this great opportunity to come together and to, to worship you and look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would have us to see from this subsection of scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. Now let's sit back so where we're at. Remember, we've just finished the last chapter. It talked about how Saul has been at war the whole time and he's been getting victories. And then it gave that very short genealogy of who his kids, are, you know, who his family was. And so now we're going to look at verse 1 here. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to appoint you to be king over the people of Israel. Now therefore hearken you unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalekite did to Israel, how he lay in wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalekite and utterly destroy all that they have and spare, not, spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, numbered them in Telerim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city in Amalekite and laid wait in the valley. All right, so we've got this little story here about the Amalekites. And uh, Solomon comes to to Saul and he reminds him that, that God put him in his place and that God used him to anoint him, kind of refreshing his mind that, you know, he may be just the prophet, he may have been the the ex-judge, but God has still used him, and he's trying to, you know, say, God's got a message for you. And he's laying that history saying, you know, remember, I'm I'm the one that put you here in the first place, so listen to what God has to say. Which goes to kind of tell us that Saul was getting a little arrogant at this point, not really listening to people. He'd had his victories, the people were following him. And it might be that Samuel wasn't even having much of an opportunity to come before him as the prophet. Uh, we, it's not said that, but I, I kind of get this picture of, you know, Sam, some, Samuel's coming along and saying, hey, remember. <laughs> remember before you got all these victories, before you got your big head, before you got uh, yourself of importance. Uh, and he says, remember what the Amalekites did to Israel, how they lay in wait for him on the way to Egypt. Now, to help us remember that, we need to go back to Exodus chapter 17 to to know what God is referring to here. And in Exodus 17, when I get there, (laughs) verse 8, Then came Amalekite and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with the Amalekite. To, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalekite. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain. And it came to pass when Moses held up his arms that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalekite prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomforted the Amalekite and his people with the edge of the sword, and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out of remembrance the Amalekite from under heaven." 
So Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisha, Nisi. And he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalekite for generation to generation. So here we see, this was, if you remember the history of the coming out, this was the first big battle that the Israelites have after being slaves. And it's with the Amalekites. And they came out and fought against them and made life miserable for them. And they had this great victory when Moses was able to hold his arms up. They won. <laughs> when his arms fell down, they were losing the battle. And then uh, Aaron and Hur helped him keep his arms up until they were able to win. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 19, we're told that the Amalekites were not just being going to war with them, but they were kind of picking off the stragglers toward the back uh, as people were sick and, and, and disabled and everything. They were killing off the, the weak of Israel. And so God says, I'm eventually going to put them completely out of remembrance. And here is what uh, Samuel is telling Saul to do. You are now the fulfillment of this prophecy some 400 years earlier that the Amalekites are going to be put out of existence. And uh, this is his order. And he says, and he says, now go and smite the Amalekites, verse 3, and utterly destroy all of them and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So he was to go in and he says, don't have mercy on anyone and basically anything. Right? They to kill all the men and women. Then he goes, the infants, the young children, and those that are still breastfeeding, he goes, kill even the children. And all the ox and the sheep and the donkeys and the camels, he says, kill. Basically, he says, kill everything that belongs to the Amalekites. Why? No, because God was saying they, they have been disobedient. And they have not followed God's laws. And we go back into the whole thing. When they came into Canaan, destroyed the Canaanites, the Canaanites were so sinful that everything had been defiled because of their um, sins and sexual sins and everything. They had actually were practicing bestiality in the, for these people. And so God is saying, kill them all. I don't want any of them left. I don't want any sin, no stain. Kill everything. And this is quite an instruction. It was the same instruction given to the Jews when they came into the Promised Land. Now, the Amalekites were to the south of Israel because as they were coming up out of Egypt through the southern side of the, of the uh, Promised Land, that's where they came across the Amalekites. And uh, so Saul is, saying, is being told, you've been having great victory, now go, go kill this entire nation. Don't leave anything. And for, for us as Christians, this is a point for us in Christians, God tells us to get rid of all sinful habits in our life. And don't make room for them. Okay? And oftentimes we kind of forget to totally annihilate sin in our life. It's the person who's been an alcoholic who, who hides a bottle in the back corner of a closet just in case they need it. It's the person who has been into uh, pornography and keeps all their passwords to all the sites that they were in just in case they, they, they need it. Well, the problem is if you do that with sin, the just-in-case will become a reality and because you've made provision for sin. 
you know, the alcohol's there, the, the passwords are there, the, the little black book for your, for your, for all the, for all your love, <laughs> love interests is, you know, well, I just need it tonight. I've got to, got to have it, you know, whatever that might be. And here God's saying, get rid of, these are people that are leading towards sin, eliminate them, completely eliminate them. And this is what God asks us to do, get rid of all provision for sin. Don't give it a little, little, even a little tiny beachhead. Well, you know, God, just maybe I might, you know, maybe you won't be enough and I'll need, God, I gave up all these other sins. I just need this one just in case. And God says, no, get rid of it. Destroy it. Because sin will take us further than we want to go and deeper than we want to go and into places we don't want to be at. And so often we make a provision for that sin. And here Saul is being told, get rid of them. So Saul gathers up the people, and he gathers up a pretty good-sized army, 210,000 people in this army that he's putting together, which is a good-sized army, especially in that day. And he goes into an Amalekite city, and he lies in wait for them to come out. All right, verse 6. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. All right, let's just take this verse, the Kenites. Probably none of you remember who the Kenites are, so we're going to help you get that part too. Judges chapter 1, verse 16. Tell us who the Kenites are. Judges 1.16. And it says, And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of, of palm trees with, with the children of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which lies to the south of Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. So the Kenites are related to Moses. They're the family of Jethro, if you remember Jethro the Minionite. If you remember the story of Moses when he gets chased out of Egypt because he killed the Egyptian overseer, he crosses the desert and he makes it to the Mennonites of Joseph, Jethro, and he ends up marrying Zipporah, who was a Mennonite, which is also known as the Kenites. And later on, when they're coming out of Egypt, Jethro brings Zipporah and the family and meets him in the desert. and and helps him out and gives him good advice and, and helps him. And Moses is going, well, you know, why don't you come with us? You know, you, you know the desert so well, come with us. And he, he denies going with them. But apparently there's been other times when they came and they helped Israel. So Saul is coming along and there's the Kenites are living in that general area because that's the area they're from. And he says, we're getting ready to destroy the Amalekites get out of this area so we don't accidentally kill you in the process. So here we see him protecting those who cared for him. And this is something that is very important for us, is that we need to show love and care for those who help us. Uh, it is so easy sometimes in our human nature to just forget the help we have. Saul is kind of forgetting, you know, it starts out with Saul being reminded, you know, I put you here, you know, don't, don't forget. And because he was getting to the place where he was forgetting. And we've seen this happen many times where somebody gets a hand up. And I've heard many people say, well, I did it all myself. 
Nobody ever helped me. Well, there's nobody who has never had any help. You know, no matter how much you've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, somebody else has been there you know, to hold you up and to help you. And the key to remember to that is to remember. Remember the help. And here, Samuel is reminding the Kenites, you know, I've got 210,000 people here. We're going to destroy the Amalekites. Get out. And they get out. Uh, they have no allegiance to the Amalekites, and they get out. All right, verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until you come down to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and, <coughs> and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. All right. Saul's instruction, kill everything. Okay. Uh, so he gets in there and he saves Ag Ag Agag, the king. Probably the worst of all of them to save alive. He saves the king of the Amalekites alive. And they take the best of the animals. All right? And it's kind of interesting the way they, they, they say it here. And everything that was violent and, and refuse, they destroyed utterly. So if it was deformed or ugly or skinny or whatever and wasn't really worth keeping, they, they killed all the animals except for what looked good. And they kept Agag. Again, here we see them taking this idea of protecting sin and giving it a place. <coughs> and you know, I, the problem is that he was told to destroy everything. And he was disobedient. Verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, It repents me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel arose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What means then this bleeding of sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen in my, which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Am Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord your, your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Say, and Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, and the chief of things which should have been destroy, utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord your God in, in Gilgal. 
And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, you have also, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I, have fe I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray you, pardon my sin and turn again unto me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king. All right. So here we see Saul, Saul's apparent obedience, at least in his mind. And uh, <coughs> Saul and the people have taken the fatlings, and God meets with Samuel and says, I am sorry that I made Saul king and I'm going to take the kingdom away from him. And it says that Saul cried all night to the Lord. And this is kind of an interesting thing, because if you remember, originally Samuel did not want to see a king be given to Israel. Okay? Because they were rejecting God, they were rejecting him, they were rejecting his rule, but more importantly, they were rejecting God. But now he's got a turn, kind of a turn of heart. You know, God, you, you had me put this king in place. Now you're getting rid of him? You're saying that he's not the right, the right man? You know, I, I put him in place. And I think even Samuel is having a little bit of pride issue here. God, uh, I didn't want him here. You had me put him in here, and now, you, now you're telling me this wasn't the right man. There's a little bit of problem with Saul, uh, Samuel. You know, and how many times do we have the same kind of attitude? God, I, I helped do this, and now what's going on? You know, we can get just as prideful doing things the right way as Saul is going to get prideful of doing things the wrong way and have this pride standing up like, well, God, look at all that I've done for you. you know, I've done all these things for you, God, and, you know, and now you're putting somebody else in charge of it or you're going, to, you're going to change the whole plan. And God does this quite frequently with churches and everything. He'll give them a direction to go in. They'll be going in that direction and everything's going to be going well. And then God's going to say, okay, now we're going to change direction. And people have a hard time changing direction sometimes. Uh, we look at some of the missionary movements that have gone over the years. China inland missions that, that worked with Chinese, Chinese and then all of a sudden couldn't do it anymore and didn't know what to do and how to, how to accomplish because God was changing the plan and had to go through some very hard soul seeking saying, okay, God, what now? Yeah. And then part of that goes in, God, have I been, obe have I been obeying you all along? Because, God, you're changing the plan. You know, why, why would you change the plan? Things, were, things seemed to be going good, or we thought everything was going good. You know, did I hear you right, God? And we have this problem because a lot of times is we have a hard time listening to God in the first place. You know, just paying attention to what God wants us to do. And we step out and we try to obey God and, and hope that we're obeying God, and we see, we see good, positive results. And then when God changes things up, it gets to be hard sometimes. And uh, Samuel got up early the next day after having been up all night and went to find Saul. And where Saul was supposed to be, he wasn't. He had moved, he'd moved his camp from that place. And uh, you know, we look at Saul's greeting in verse 13. And it said, Blessed be you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <coughs> 
Saul comes up and says, you know, hey, I've, I've obeyed everything. You know, I have been totally obedient to God. This is almost reminiscent of in Jesus' day, the Pharisees who would say, God, we obey you. We do, we're doing everything you want within the restrictions that we understand. Okay, we have all these little loopholes, God, and we're obeying you within the loopholes. And many times we as Christians do the same thing. We know what God has told us and we do part of it. And say, God, you know, hey, God, you know, just look at me. I've, you know, I, I've done most of what you told me to do. But we won't say most. We've, I've done what you've told me to do. And God's saying, no, you did some, maybe even most, but you haven't done all that I told you to do. And God wants obedience. Obedience. He doesn't want just a picture. Remember, we've talked about how Saul keeps a kind of a picture of, of obedience up. He's fighting the people and he does silly little things, you know. And, and when and as Jonathan has uh, led a great victory of Israel, but yet he had disobeyed by eating some food that it, you know, he didn't know his father said, he says, okay, you're worthy of death. Okay, why? Did he want to put his son to death? I don't think so, but it's like, well, he disobeyed me and I, and I got my pride and I've got to make sure he's, he's punished. And here he's saying, well, Agag, and I don't know why he would say, save Agag, okay? Agag is an opponent king. Uh, is there something about Agag's personality or something that he just meshed with Saul or something? We don't know. But for some reason, he decides to let Agag live. The head of all the Amalekites is let, let to live. And, uh, you know, but his reading to Saul is, hey, I've, I've, I've obeyed God. I've done everything that God said. As if Samuel isn't in con, uh, communication with God. Okay, he's trying to pull the wool over the man of God's eyes. And Samuel says, oh, oh great, well, what is, what is the, this bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen I'm hearing? Because, you know, I almost think of this when I'm going, when I think about this, is how many times our kids will tell us, you know, I didn't get into the cookies as the chocolate's all covered in their face, or, you know, I didn't get into, get into this as the evidence is hanging all around them. You know, this is exactly what's going on with Saul. <laughs> Me? I, I've been obedient. I haven't, I haven't disobeyed. Uh, don't, don't really know, don't, don't pay attention to all those sheep and oxen and, and donkeys and camels, you know. Don't, don't worry about them. They're, 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 they're not part of, the, part of this. And uh, Saul in verse 15 says, uh, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul's excuse is, it's the people. Yeah, I was afraid of the people. They wanted, they wanted to keep these things. And you know, we look at this because you know darn well that they did not bring these things to sacrifice to God. Okay, they were keeping the spoils. But he's going, you know, they kept the best so they could, they could make a sacrifice. Okay, you know, it was, it was their fault. You know, finger pointing has been going on since the very beginning of time. Uh, remember, we, we look at the very first sin when God says, what have you done? And we've, we've shared this, you know, Adam was really, really treacherous. He goes, you know, the woman you gave me, God, so he's kind of pointing both ways. God, it's really your fault. You, if you hadn't given her to me, she would not have gotten me to sin, so it's really God, her fault, but it's your fault. So he's pointing both ways. You know, it's not my fault, God. You know, and it was her, but, by, but really, God, it was you because you gave her to me. You know, and then, of course, Eve points to the, ser 
serpent, you know, Saul is pointing to the people. You know, he's the ruler of the people. He's responsible for what happens, you know, what the people do. And he's going, it was their fault. You know, I, because uh, they haven't even got to Agag yet. You know, it's their fault. They, they took the best. You know, but they did it for a good reason, you know, Samuel. It, you know, it was to worship, uh, to sacrifice to the Lord. And note what he says, your God. Okay, it wasn't even my God or our God. You know, Samuel, uh, they, they're going to offer a sacrifice to your God. Yeah. Not even recognizing that it's the God of Israel. Not even recognizing it's his God. Kind of shows you how far down Saul has fallen. Remember when he first was anointed king, God came upon him and he prophesied and anointed and, you know, and was blessing God. Now he's come down so far that he's not even acknowledging that it's his God that he's being obedient, disobedient to. And it might be because of his sin as well. He's been disobedient and he's been caught at it. Nothing's worse than getting caught at a sin. When you've done something wrong, to get caught. You know, because then you're going to figure out, oh, you know, how can I get out of this? How can, how can, I, how can I get out of being disciplined? Now, ideally, if we're being biblical, we repent, we, we confess, and we bow before God, or we do what so many people do, Try to make excuses. And here is Saul making excuses. Now, hey, Samuel, it really wasn't me. It was the people. The people wanted the best. You know, they, 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 weren't, they weren't taking these for themselves. They were, they were taking them so they could sacrifice to God. And um, Samuel said, uh, Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord has said unto me. And Saul says, Well, tell me. Go ahead, go ahead and tell me what it is that God has said unto you. At this point in time, he's probably getting a little concerned, okay? Because Samuel says, God said something to me last night. And, I'm gonna, and he goes, tell me. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king? And the Lord sent you on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Therefore, then, didst you not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. All right? So he's telling Saul, I know exactly what you did. Remember, Saul, when you were first called to be king, how you really were humble. You didn't really, really think that we're supposed to be you. And if you remember, when they were trying to find Saul, they drew the lots, and Saul's name came up. If you remember, that said they found him hiding in the baggage cars. Okay? He didn't really want to be king at that time. He was afraid of being king. He, he understood what the importance was. He goes, you started out right. You started out humble. You started out very cautious. And it says, now the Lord sent you on a, on a journey. He sent you on a mission. And that was to destroy all the Amalekites completely. And you did not obey God's voice. And it says here, he understood right off. He says, you, you know, but you did fly upon the spoil. He goes, I know what you're saying. You said the people kept the best to offer sacrifices, but I know that you took them as spoil. That's what God has said, that you took them to be spoil. And you have done evil in the sight of the Lord. His sin has been called out completely. And he hasn't even got to calling them out on Agag yet. Right now, that's just the spoil. And Saul goes into his excuse in verse 20. 
And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone, gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now he throws out Agag. He goes, I went out, I kept Agag, and I destroyed all the people. Again, we go back to, what was his instructions? Kill, kill everything. <laughs> okay? He didn't say kill all the people and keep Agag alive. He didn't say kill all the people and keep the animals. He said kill everything in that land. And here, Saul is getting even deeper. And this is so funny because this always happens. When people start making excuses for what they've done, so often they add to their mistakes that they have. Okay? Right now, all they've been talking about is the animals, and all of a sudden he throws in, oh, I've kept, I kept Agag alive too, by the way. You know, almost in, well, I'm in trouble already. Maybe if I get this piece out, of the, out in the open, you know, something, it'll, it'll look like I'm, I'm repenting. And again, he goes, you know, I've done, I've done just what God told me to do. We need to be careful to make sure we give full obedience to God in all that we do. In the church in Jerusalem, we had a, period, we had a time when they were gathering up an offering. And remember, we had a, an incident where Barnabas gave, sold a piece of land and gave all the money to the church. And he got praised for giving his money, giving everything to the church. So Ananias and Sapphira decided to go sell some property. And they took and kept back part of it, which was not the problem. The problem wasn't that they kept back part of the land. It was theirs to sell. But they went to the church and tried to pretend that they were giving all of their money. Okay? And Peter asked him, you know, did you sell the property for this amount of money? That and he said, yes. And he says, You're li you've lied to the Holy Spirit, and Ananias dropped dead. His wife comes in a little later on and says, you know, doesn't know that her husband's died, and was asked the same question, and she said yes, and she died. God does not allow disobedience in his presence. You know, it's one thing to say, God, you know, I've, I've messed up and, and, and own up to it. But to try to keep you know, as Saul keeps trying to do, keep saying, I've obeyed, I've obeyed, I've obeyed, I've obeyed, I've done just what you've said. God says no. And we're going to see that he's going to get rejected from the kingdom. And God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you because of his disobedience. If he had come up to Samuel and said, you know, Samuel, I really messed up. I saved, I seen, saved King Ahab. Uh, the people have kept the spoiled. We can kill them now. God probably still wouldn't have been happy with him, but there would have been repentance and, and uh, God would have forgiven. And uh, there still have been consequence, but probably not the consequence of losing his kingdom. When we find ourselves in disobedience to God, we need to be very quick to say, God, I have sinned. Because one thing that's going to be true is God is going to get us to the place where we're going to admit that we've sinned. It may take him twisting our arm and making life miserable for us, but we'll get to the place where we go, God, okay, I have, I have messed up. I have I have done wrong. And in the process, there's always consequence. Always consequence for this. And over and over again, Saul is making excuses. God, I obeyed you. Well, God, I obeyed you in everything 
except I let the people keep the animals. God, you know, I, okay, I obeyed you in everything except I let the people keep the animals and I didn't kill Agag. All right? And who knows why he kept Agag? You know, I, I've always wondered why did he keep Agag alive? Uh, and how far he would have gone if God had let it go and gone any further, what other sin would have come about because of this act of disobedience? Because we read here, and it seems to be that Saul literally thinks that he's obeyed God through partial obedience. And we do the same thing over and over, obeying God partially. God, I know in this verse that you told me you wanted me to do this, this, and this. Well, I did this, but I didn't do the other half. And God's saying, well, get busy. <laughs> get busy and quit making excuses about the other half. And uh, so we see here that uh, he's making his excuses. And again, he says that they make sacrifice unto the Lord your God. Not my God, not their God. But, you know, Samuel, I'm talking to you. They're, they're going to offer sacrifices to your God. And this is something that is so interesting in this section is that God does not seem to be personal for Saul. It doesn't seem to be personal for the children of Israel either. They're, they're flittering along obedience of, of obeying God, but not really making him their God. And in our day and age, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who don't really have a relationship with God. They know about God. They know about his rules. They know some of what he says. And they're kind of flittering on the edges of, of being a Christian. Okay, God, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I read my Bible once in a while. I try to obey you as best I can. But, you know, I've got all these excuses for not obeying you. What separates Christianity from religion is that it's a relationship with God. A relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. In religion, people do not have that personal relationship with God. They have fear and obedience and dread of one day not living up to what their God wants them to do. And that's religion. That's a bunch of rules that people can't obey. And if they think they're obeying them, they're fools anyway because they're not obeying every, every part of it. They're obeying it like Saul. Yeah. God, I've, I've mostly obeyed you. Uh, and again, we bring it back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had all kinds of ways to disobey. Okay, they were to honor their mother and father. And I was just reading the other day where he goes, remind, reminding me that, you know, well, mom and dad asked for this, but, you know, I, I've dedicated it to God, so I can't give it to you. I can use it while I'm alive, but once I'm dead, it goes, it goes to the temple. So God, I can't help you, mom and dad, because I've, God is a higher place, and I've, you know, dedicated all my, well, so basically saying, I don't have to honor you. I don't have to help you. They, they did things like they had a decision. You couldn't walk more than a Sabbath day walk from your from your home on the Sabbath day, but you know, but they would put possessions out at the end of the Sabbath day walk and, and say, this is home, I'm at home, so I can walk another Sabbath day's walk out. And they would play games with God's rules and say, God, I obey you. you know, the, the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, you know, obey your parents, you know, honor your you know, and, give, listen and, and his answer was, I've done all those things since my birth. And then Jesus told him one other thing you, you need to do. Go and sell all that you have and give to, give to the poor and come follow me. And the answer was he went away sad because he had great possessions. Basically, God said, okay, you have things that you have above God. And it just showed that he wasn't willing to give up that last little thing. 
And so often, people in religion want to do. Lord, just give me some rules. Give me rules to follow, and I will, I will earn my way into heaven. And God says, no, you can't. You cannot earn your way to heaven. And uh, here we're going to see the same thing happening. Verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So he's basically telling Saul, God wants obedience. He doesn't want you to do what you think is right. And, you know, this is the problem that we all have to some degree or another. We do the things that we think are right and sometimes do not put them, and oftentimes do not put them in subjection to God. God, I'm going to obey you the way I think I should obey you. Yes, I read your word. I know what you want. But, God, uh, your ways are just too hard. And, you know, it really is. If we were trying to obey every rule that God gives us, we can't do it. Yeah, we just can't do it. Uh, first opportunity, we're making excuses for not doing it, not repenting. Uh, we try to do things our way. You know, when God says, I want you to forgive somebody, and we have our reasons not to forgive them because they were just so bad and so hurtful to us that we won't forgive them. God says, I want you to love this person. Uh-uh, God, this person's unlovable. I'm not going to do this. And, you know, and we'll make our excuses. God, you just, you just don't know what it's like, God. I just could not forgive this person. I could not love this person. I could not do whatever else it is you wanted me to do. And God says, all I want you to do is be obedient. Be obedient. You know, not even necessarily perfect obedience. He's just saying, be obedient. You know, show me that you are trying to do what I've asked you to do. And that's all God's asking He's not asking us for the obedience, you know, because Saul's going, you know, hey, we were, going to offer, we were going to offer these sacrifices. We were going to do these things. Now, I don't believe there were a moment that he was actually going to offer these sacrifices, but at least he's trying to say, you know, we had good reasons to do what we did. We need to be careful because if we find ourselves making excuses for disobedience to God, we're at, we're at a bad crossroad. We need to get to where we're going to repent and say, God, I'm sorry, you know, forgive me. Forgive me for what I have done. Verse 23, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, you have, you, he has also rejected you from being king. Rebellion, disobedience, this whole idea of disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. And God hates witchcraft. And witchcraft here is divination, fortune-telling, uh, basically depending on anything but God. Okay, and this is something that's important. God wants full dependence on him. If we are putting anything above God, God is looking down and saying, you have an idol, you need to get rid of this idol. And how easy is it for us to put an idol in, in the place of God? God, you know, I have just learned so much. I am just so much smarter than these guys that wrote the Bible. Because I know the way things should be done. I know psychology. I know uh, uh, sociology. And God, I have just learned so many things. I know, I know better than what I, what I read in the book. And people get that way. Uh, God, I just have a better idea. You know, uh, if we're trying to tell God that we have a better idea, we've got a problem. <laughs> and yet we do that frequently. God, I just didn't think what you said was going to work. So I just did it my way. And God's saying, yeah, look at the results of doing it your way. 
there's always problems with doing it our way. And he says stubbornness, you know, the arrogancy of, of, is as iniquity and idolatry. God says when we try to put our ways forward ahead of his, that's stubbornness. You know, it's interesting when you look at what God deems as terrible sins. You know, as human beings, we think of murder, adultery, fornication, those kind of things as really bad sins. Every time God talks about it, he talks about things that are attitudes, our stubbornness, our gossip, our lying. And it's kind of interesting because most of us don't put those anywhere near the top of sin when we're thinking about sins. And God's saying, you know, I hate lying lips. I hate gossip. And this is something we need to get to the idea that God wants truthfulness and humility from us. And he's telling Saul, you're, you're way off, Saul. You started out humble, now you're proud. You, you've, been lying to, you've been lying to me, trying to tell me that you've obeyed God. And it says, God hates all of that. And it says, God has rejected you because you have rejected him. And we need to be careful about this ourselves. Verse 24, and Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and, and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray you, pardon my sin and turn again unto me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. All of a sudden Saul decides, okay, my excuses haven't worked. My claim that I've been obedient hasn't worked, so now let me try repentance. <laughs> okay? And you listen to his repentance. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. He would have been fine if he had stopped there. Okay? I have sinned. I have been disobedient. But he goes on. He says, because I feared the people, the people and, the, and, and obeyed their voice. Okay, God is, when we repent before God, he is not wanting us to come to him and say, God, I have sinned, but. We are to put no buts in our repentance. Sam, Saul is putting in this idea of, you know, hey, I, I disobeyed, but, you know, it was really the people. We're back to the Adam and Eve scenario. You know, it, it really wasn't me. You know, I sinned, but, you know, if it wasn't for all those people pressuring me, I wouldn't have sinned. God does not accept excuses in our repentance. Uh, he's not looking for, well, you know, I'm sorry, but if they hadn't done this to me, I wouldn't have reacted this way. You know, I've, heard, I've heard my kids repent that way. You know, I'm, I'm sorry I did that to you, but if you had not hit me in, or, did, or did this first, then I wouldn't have. That's, no, that's not a repentance. That's not, that's not uh, an apology. And this is what Saul is doing. You know, hey, yeah, I, I, was, I was doing really good and I, you know, I, I, I did sin. I, I know I sinned, but God is never wanting a but. If we want to repent before God, it's God, I am really messing. I really messed up. I ask you to help me and forgive me. And that's what God's asking. And again, Saul did not do any of this. Remember when we were talking about the big sin of Moses? Does anybody remember the big sin of Moses that kept him from going into the promised land? He struck the rock. He struck the rock two times, as a matter of fact, when God said, speak to the rock. 
okay? And God said, because you, and he was angry with the people and represented God in an angry way. And he goes, because you did this, you're not going to go into the promised land. And remember that I, that I made a statement that the bigger problem with Moses was not that he struck the rock. That was bad. And his anger, but every time they're after with the people, he goes, it's your fault that I'm not going into the promised land. Moses never repented, and God knew that he wasn't going to repent. And from, from that point on, it was always, you guys, you're the one. You're the ones that are fault. I'm not going to the promised land because of you. I really, truly believe that if he had just humbled his heart and said, God, I really messed up, and, and just confessed, he probably would have gone into the promised land. But because God knew that he wasn't going to confess and, and repent, he says, no, you're not going in. Saul here, God knew that Saul was not going to repent, truly. You know, God, I repent. I really did wrong, but it's their fault. Okay? Not really my fault. It's their fault. Those are not repentant words. You know, if you're a parent and your kids say, well, you know, I really did bad, but then we're going, no, you haven't repented in your heart. We need to make sure that we repent before God without any, any disagreement, without anything. And Samuel says, you know, I'm not going to return with you. I'm not going to offer a sacrifice for you because you have been rejected by God. And, you know, we need to be careful. If God rejects something in our life, we need to turn away from it and reject it as well. Whatever that might be, whether it's a sin or an individual, it might even be an individual that God says, stay away from and God says, if you do that, follow what I'm saying and obey. And Samuel's saying, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to stay near you. Verse 27, and as Samuel turned to go away, Saul laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day and hath given it to a neighbor of yours that is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, and I pray you before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again unto me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then said Samuel, bring you hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came before him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramath, and Saul went to the house of Gibeah for Saul, of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. All right, so you picture this. He's been begging Samuel to, to forgive and honor him. Samuel turns, turns to leave him, and he grabs the bottom of his garment, and the garment tears. You know, and it kind of shows you how sorrowful Saul is on one side, but we're going to see why he's not sorrowful that he sinned. Even at this point, he is not sad that he sinned. We're going to see that as we get in here. And this garment tears on Samuel, and Samuel just turns around and says, the Lord has torn the kingdom from your hands, just like this. A picture. 
God uses pictures so often. He says, you've torn this garment. Now God has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to somebody better than you. At this time, we don't know who that is because we're going to find out later it's David. But at this point in time, he says, Saul, this kingdom has been taken from you. It's going to go to somebody else that's been better. And it says, then he goes in this, I love this one in verse 20. And also the strength of Israel is, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. In other words, God doesn't change. When God has made a decision, it is final. Now, we have seen that God changes his mind at various times, but it wasn't that he changed his mind. He already knew that he was going to. But in this case, he says, Saul has lost the kingdom. His disobedience, I've had enough of his disobedience. He is not honoring me, is not stretching forth, and now I've had enough. And then we see Saul's answer in verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray you, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He goes, finally, he goes, I've sinned. You know, he's recognizing that he's sinned. He hasn't, he's not ready to repent yet. But look at what he's asking. He is not asking for God to forgive him of his sin and restore him. He's saying, put me back in good standing with the people. He goes, you know, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to walk away when the people think that God's not on my side anymore. God's not on his side anymore. But he says, come back with me so it at least looks like God's on my side so the people will continue to follow me. We need to be careful about how we repent and why we repent. Are we putting on a show so people think good things of us? And this happens quite frequently at churches. It's interesting to see sometimes when people are having a really bad week and they come to church and everything's good. Yeah, just, just had a fight with my spouse, just, you know, uh, did everything wrong this week, but man, God is just blessing me. Well, we need to be careful. You know, we don't want to just say a positive thing because it's positive. We want to make sure it's true and edifying. God is wanting to have us tell people, God is gracious, God is good. But you know, sometimes we just need to tell people, you know, I've had a really rough week. It's been really bad. Would you pray for me? Get people praying for us is a good thing because it is so easy to try to deceive people. And here, Paul, Saul's reasoning for getting Samuel to come to him was not so that he would be able to repent and, and go with God, but, you know, Samuel, if you come with me, it'll look good to the people. They'll think, it's, they'll think everything is okay. And surprisingly, and I'm really surprised, is that Saul, Samuel comes with him. Okay? Now, he's not going to say anything good about Saul in all of this. Because the first thing he says is, bring Agag to me. All right? Bring this king who you were supposed to kill into my presence. And I kind of, you know, the verse 32 says, And Agag came to him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. So he Agag's coming kind of humbly. You know, my life is spared. I don't have to worry about it. I haven't died on the battlefield. And, you know, he's coming in being very kind. Oh, Samuel, you know, wonderful leader, you know, judge, uh, you know, man of God, whatever words he's using. You know, he's, he's giving empty praise to, Sam, to Samuel and possibly to Saul. And uh, Samuel said, as a sword hath made women childless, childless among mothers childless among their women, you know, so your mother will be. 
and he cut Agag into pieces. I, you know, he says, you know, you've been so evil. You have been evil. You have killed people for basically sport for no reason. And now you're going to die and your mother's going to be childless. Uh, apparently, his mother didn't have any other children because he says she's going to be childless. Uh, and it could be just that he lost her, lost her son and it said he hewed Agag. Cut him into pieces. I mean, he didn't just stab him. He didn't just cut him. He took the sword and sliced Agag up. Uh, such vengeance, such anger, and this was supposed to have been done on the battlefield uh, where, where, where he would have been taken as a, a, not as a prisoner, but as a, as a victim but on the field. He was supposed to kill everybody, so he didn't even kill the mother. Apparently not. Or, or he's saying that your mother, even yeah. though now she's dead, is childless. We're going to find out later on that not every Amalekite died. Okay? Some got away. Because there's going to be some Amalekites later on that cause trouble for Israel still. Yeah, or she's already dead and he's, and he's just you know, saying, you know, she is now you know, childless as well. And that's hard to understand, but there are Amalekites who live, and we're going to see them later on. They, they weren't fully wiped out. And it is hard, really, to wipe out an entire population. He killed every Amalekite he found in the Amalekite cities. Oh, yeah, but that he found, yeah. Because yeah, there were some probably doing ambassadors or merchant work and stuff, so those ones are going to live, and they did not die. And we're going to see that some of them caused problems for Israel later on. Then Samuel went to Ramoth, and Saul went up to his house, to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So both of them go to their respective homes, and it says that Samuel never does go see Saul again. And this is going to be a bitter pill for Saul as he's later on, because Samuel is the prophet. He's the man that he speaks. He's speaking for God. And with Samuel turning his back on Saul, Saul knows that God has turned his back on him. All right? And Saul is never going to repent. This is the sad thing. Repentance is important to get relationship with God. And God knows when it's fake. He knows when it's real. And when it's not real, he does not accept it. You know, God is not a man that can be lied to. Many of us can be fooled. Somebody can come to us and say they're sorry and, and weep, weep tears and, and cry and all of that and really get us to believe that they've repented. Saul's done this twice now in this time. You know, weeped and wept and repented, but neither time was real. Both times he made excuses for his disobedience and he is going to go downhill from this point on. He is going to be a very bitter man because God is not on his side. He does not have, he does not have the peace of God. Now I believe that he went to heaven because of what God did for him, but he loses out on the peace. And I've seen people that I really believe are Christians that have turned away from God that just don't have the peace in their heart of God because they're not following him correctly. And they're trying, God came into their heart, they're saved, maybe, I mean, that's between them and God, but they have no peace. 
And the greatest thing about following God is the peace that passes understanding where God gives us great peace when we're following him. And that peace is so wonderful. When you're, when you're walking with God and you're at peace with him, it doesn't matter what else goes on in your life. It doesn't matter what else is happening. That peace gives you a settled place. And Saul never experiences that peace from this point on. God has rejected him. And he gets to the point where instead of going to repentance, he just holds that bitterness in his heart. God has rejected me. I'm not going to be king anymore. My son's not going to be king anymore. Which is why it's a big problem when David starts becoming pretty famous in the, in the land. And he sees David getting a reputation. And he's going to be very bitter about that reputation. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to learn to repent completely before you and to turn to you without excuse and just say, God, I have sinned. Come help me. And we just ask you to help us to be as Samuel wanted and as David will be and not as Saul. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.